Hello and welcome to Cumber Baptist Church Podcast. The following is taken from our morning service, Sunday 12th of May, 2019. This morning we are joined by Pastor Clifford Morrison, who takes his reading from Psalm 46 and brings us a message entitled, What Do We Do When Troubles Come? Could I invite you to come with me to Psalm 46? Psalm 46. The question we have in mind this morning is, what do we do when trouble comes? What do we do when trouble comes? Job experienced his fair share of suffering, and he makes this observation in Job chapter 5 and verse 7, man is born unto trouble as the sparks fly upward. In Psalm 46, we read these words, God is our refuge and our strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains trembled at its swelling. There's a little word there called Selah, and uh, it's not there to be read, but what it simply means is pause and reflect, pause and think about what we have just read. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her, she shall not be moved, God will help her. When morning dawns, the nations rage, the kingdoms totter, he utters his voice, the earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us, the God of Jacob is our fortress. Come behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations on the earth. He makes war cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Amen to the reading of God's Word. Martin Luther is without doubt one of the key figures in church history. A man mightily used of God to bring reformation to the church of Jesus Christ. The year 1527 was, in his words, the most difficult year of his life. After ten demanding years of leading the Reformation, he took ill and feared for his life. He was convinced that he was going to die. He regained his strength for a little while, but as a result of further complicating illness, a little discouragement began to settle in his heart and mind. And in one of his diaries, he wrote as follows, I spent more than a week in death and hell. My entire body was in pain, and I still tremble. I felt abandoned by God and Christ, and I am laboring under the storms of desperation and blasphemy against God. At that time, what became known as the Black Plague had entered and spread into and through Wittenberg. 
Many people fled, fearing for their lives. But Luther and his wife Kitty stayed, believing that it was their duty to care for the sick and for the dying. His own boy became seriously ill, and with death and despair staring him in the face from every quarter, Luther said, I was driven to seek refuge in Psalm 46. And as he engaged in this exercise, his own testimony was that Psalm 46 became the strength of his soul. And as a result, Luther expand, expounded and expanded the great truths of the psalm into a hill, a hymn that became known as the Reformation Anthem. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing. And like Luther of old, the author of this psalm, Psalm 46, found solace and refuge in God during difficult times. It's always good, it's important, it's vitally important to try and understand and appreciate something of the background of any psalm that we would read. And most Bible scholars are of the opinion that this psalm was written after a military victory over a foreign power that attempted a siege against Jerusalem. In all probability, after the destruction of King Zennacherib and the Assyrian army during the reign of a king called King Hezekiah. You read about it in 2 Kings 18 and 19. It was written by one of the sons of Korah, one of the Levites who were the descendants of Korath, the father of Korak. And they produced and they performed music while the tabernacle was in the wilderness and after the construction of the temple. And if you were to summarize the psalm, it reminds us of a God who has the ability to protect the righteous from their enemies by his ever-abiding presence. The great theologian, the Lutheran scholar H.C. Lepole writes, few psalms breathe the spirit of sturdy confidence in the Lord in the midst of very real danger, as strongly as this psalm. In the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 4 and verse 12, we read that a threefold cord cannot be easily broken. And in this psalm, we have a threefold cord that many have found to be unshakable. Man is born unto trouble as the sparks fly upward. Physical trouble, emotional trouble, financial trouble, the threat of unemployment, the stress and strain of family life, trying just to keep things together. What can we do where well, we can find refuge in God? And we can find resources in God. And in this psalm, there are three things to remember. We are to remember that in God we have an immovable refuge. In God we have an immovable, an immovable refuge. Notice that the writer begins by announcing that God is a strong refuge for his people. He is a God who provides safety in the midst of discouraging and devastating circumstances. 
In verse 1, he's the all-powerful one. In verse 2, he's the all-present one. In verse 3, he is the all-present one. And when we are attacked, in verse 1, and assailed by the most discouraging of circumstances in life, God is still our refuge. He is the one in whom his people find safety. He is the one in whom his people find strength. He is the one in whom his people find stability. You have no need for me to come to the pulpit in Cumber Baptist Church this morning to say that we live in a nervous world. We live in a world that is really from one crisis to the other. But as Christians, we find our stability not in the world around us, not in the world within us, but in our God and Father in heaven. We find our stability in God. And Jehovah is pictured for us as a refuge, a fortress, a strong shelter from danger, an unconquerable fortress, a walled city in which protection is found. And when trouble found the psalmist, God was his strength, upholding him, enabling him to stand in the midst of fiery, travel, uh, fiery trials. The Hebrew word for trouble here means a tight place. It means to be restricted. It means to be tied up in knots. It means to be found in a narrow, cramped place. The psalmist finds himself between a rock and a hard place with seemingly no way out whatsoever. Yet God was with him. God was a very present help in the time of trouble. A very present help. Immediate, present, instant, available. You see, we sing choruses and sometimes we forget to sing them and believe them when we sing them. God is still on the throne. And He will remember His own. The trials may press us and burdens distress us. He never, He never, He never, He never will leave us alone. And in verses 2 and 3, having understood in some measure and grasped to some degree the all-sustaining power of God, the writer says, we will not fear. We will not fear. Here was a bold statement declaring his confidence in God. Here was the writer inspired by the greatness of the Almighty. Regardless of what was happening, regardless of what he and his people were facing, they had no need to fear, for God was in control. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the sea. And the picture here is one of confusion. Represented as a momentous earthquake that caused an upheaval of the tallest and loftiest mountains. The mountains represented stability and continuity. But their stability and continuity seemed to collapse into the sea. And the waters roared and foamed and the mountains quaked with their surging. And the image that confronts us here conveys earth-shaking circumstances. As mountains crash into the sea, and the sea responds by flowing outside its prescribed boundaries, and the message that all this conveys is simply this, that in spite of all this turmoil that pictures devastating circumstances seemingly outside of control, we will not fear. Why? Because God is in control. 
What does that mean? It means that God is sovereign. That he is all-powerful. That he is ever-present. And he is always protecting. And though the earth moves, and though the mountains fall, and though the seas roar and the mountains quake, we will remember that he is our immovable refuge. Elizabeth Elliot's story comes to mind. She suffered the loss of two husbands. The first husband was a man called Jim Elliot, who was killed by the Aka Indians in Ecuador while trying to reach them with the gospel. He wrote in his diary, He is no fool who gives up that which he can never keep to gain that which he can never lose. The second husband was a man called Addison Leach, who was slowly consumed with cancer. In relating what these experiences were like, she referred to this psalm, and here's what she said. In the first shock of death, everything uh, that had seemed to be most dependable had given way. Mountains were falling, the earth was reeling, and in such a time as that, it was comforting to know that although all things seemed to be shaken, one thing was not, God was not shaken. And all that I needed to do was to be still and to know that He is God. What do we do when trouble comes? Remember that in God we have an immovable refuge. Secondly, remember that in God we have an inexhaustible river. We have an inexhaustible river. That's what we learn from verses 4 through to verse 7. God is pictured as the satisfying river who abides in Jerusalem with his protective presence ready to overthrow and destroy the enemies of God. In verse 4 we read that he is the God who satisfies uh, his people. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. In verses 5 and 6, He is the God who sustains His people. God is in the midst of her, she shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage, the kingdoms roar. He utters His voice, the earth melts. In verse 7, He saves His people. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge, is our fortress. In a dry country, a river is a godsend. It irrigates the land. It waters both man and beast. And to the besieged inhabitants of Jerusalem, even a little trickle through the city could make a vital difference between resistance and surrender. What a picture the psalmist gives as he likens his God to a river flowing full and free in the midst of his people. The writer in the prophecy of Ezekiel says this, These mighty waters bring freshness and hope. It's God who makes His people glad. It's God who, being in the midst of His people, fights on their behalf and strikes fear and turmoil into the hearts of the enemy. It is the God of Jacob, a reminder that He is the God who redeemed the patriarch out of his troubles, who supported Jacob in the midst of his trials. And what He has done for Jacob, He will do for His own, even 
today. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart. I will enter his courts with praise. I will rejoice, for he has made me glad. We are glad today because of what God has done. We are glad today because of what God is doing. And we're glad today because of what God will yet do. There's no need to fear when trouble comes, for we have an immovable refuge. There's no need to faint when trouble comes, because we have an inexhaustible river. And there's no need to fret when we remember that we have an invincible ruler. That's what God teaches us through His Word in verses 8 through to 11. These closing verses describe the amazing victory so easily accomplished by God over the massive army. I've already made reference to it in 2 Kings 18 and 19. The land was littered with the dead and burning chariots, and against that background, these words are spoken, Be still, be still, and know that I am God. I believe we have an invitation here, an invitation to focus our attention on God and God alone. Someone said recently, it's a sad day when God and God alone is no longer sufficient for his people, no longer attractive. We want something more. My dear friends, we can get nothing more than God, nothing grander, nothing greater than God. And so he says, be still and know that I am God. Focus your attention on God and on God alone. To know God as the one who sits on the throne. To know him as the sovereign, sufficient, and supreme God, the Almighty. To know him as the father of his redeemed people. We are to meditate on his wonder. The wonder of creation the wonder of redemption, the wonder of a coming glorification, the wonder of His works, the wonder of His ways, the wonder of His Word, taking time to allow its precepts to sink into our hearts and to saturate our minds. It is said of John Bunyan, had you have cut his veins, the Bible would have flowed from his veins. How much are we saturated in the Word of God, the whole counsel of God for all of God's people, taking time to allow its precepts sink into our hearts and saturate our minds. And if we do that, the outcome will be freedom from unnecessary worry and burdensome care. And what this psalm is teaching us this morning is this, that whether in sorrow and sickness, or whether in the sanctuary, whether in service, whether in solitude, be still. Be still. And allow him who rules the destiny of nations to be the Lord and ruler of your life. Be still. Learn to cultivate a sense of his presence. If you're too busy to be still, then you're too busy. You need to look at your weekly program. Because I'm convinced of this after 50 years in Christian ministry that the people of God do what they 
really want to do. And if you want to pray and really want to be still and want to wait before the Lord, you will arrange your program so that you will have time to wait and to cultivate the presence of God. How easy we can become fearful and fretful and faint-hearted and forget when trouble comes and circumstances change that the storms of life which seem so imposing are nothing to him. When our hearts are tempted to faint within, he is there. The problems seem to get bigger and bigger every day, and when things try in upon us, we can easily become discouraged, depressed, distressed, and dismayed. Focusing on our problems will breed fear and doubt, but looking to God will bring faith, hope, and contentment. The old hymn puts like this, Amid the trials that I meet, amid the thorns that pierce my feet, this thought remains supremely sweet. Thou thinkest, Lord, of me. What need I fear when thou art near? And thinkest, Lord, of me. Martin Luther writes, We sing this psalm of praise to God because God is with us. And powerfully and miraculously, he preserves and defends his church. And he protects his word against all fanatical spirits, against the gates of hell, against the implacable hatred of the devil, against all the assaults of the world, the flesh, and the devil. I want to close with this sanctified imaginary thought. I want to invite some folk this morning onto the pulpit. Relax. They're not really present with us, but I want you to come with me in my imagination. The first person I want to invite is Daniel. Daniel, when did you learn to be still and to know that God was God? And I believe Samuel was, or Daniel would say, I did it in times of adversity. You can read about it in my prophecy in chapter 6. When the king called to me in an anguish voice, and he said, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve, continually been able to rescue from the lions? And Daniel said, My God, sent an angel and shut the mouths of the lions. And when Daniel was lifted from the dead, no wound was found in him because he had trusted in God. I did it. I did it in times of adversity. Paul, what about you? I did it really in times of infirmity. There was a time when there was given to me a thorn in the flesh. It was most difficult. And I felt it was unnecessary. And three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. I did it in times of infirmity. What about you, Moses? Well, you know something? I learned to do it in times of prosperity. What do you mean? Well, God spoke to me. And he said, When the Lord brings you into the land, he swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, to give you. It will be a land with large flourishing cities that you did not build. Houses filled with all kinds of good things that you did not provide. You will have wells you did not dig, vineyards and olive groves you did not plant. 
Then when you eat and are satisfied, be careful. Be careful. And the Hebrew emphasizes, emphasizes, be very careful that you do not forget the Lord who brought you out of Egypt and out of the land of slavery. If a Bellamina man was standing here this morning, what he's really saying, don't forget the bowl you were baked in. You see, I've discovered this, that prosperity is a greater threat sometimes than infirmity and adversity. We can forget the Lord. Daniel did it in times of adversity. Paul in times of infirmity. Moses in times of prosperity. The psalmist did it in times of victory. And as he reflected on God's marvelous, miraculous, mighty intervention, he was quick to remind himself and to remind you and me not to fear, not to faint, not to friend, to be calm because he is our refuge. He is our fortress. There's strength and security in him. To be glad because he is our river. And when we feel weak, he is the living water that refreshes and renews us. And to be still and to know that he is God. What do we do when trouble comes? Remember that in God we have an immovable refuge. In God we have an inexhaustible river. And in God we have an invincible ruler. May God help us to do that, not just while we are here, but as we go out into a new world, different experiences, different circumstances. May God help us to do just that.